second night, my mother got ahead with one smuggler, and then my knee popped out of place. And I was just like, oh, in pain. And the guy said, you have to keep going. I didn't have a coach when I came to United States. It took me so many years to realize what a self-development is, what is higher education, why it's needed in order to achieve your goals here. They didn't care that I was young or I didn't know anything or that I was a girl doing what was supposed to be a man's sport. And so I walked in and they said, hey, can you drive a stick shift? And I said, sorta. And they said, great, and shoved me in a car. Back home in Liberia, soccer was the one thing that brought everyone together. What's up, man? It was about May 1990. At that point, the, the rebels haven't arrived in Monrovia yet. It was in the outskirts of Monrovia. Uh, we were fortunate to be one of the, the, the few family that could afford escaping at, at that point. So. We went to, went to Sierra Leone, uh, we arrived in Freetown, and we live uh, in a hotel. Yo, what's up, man? For the first three months or so, we live a similar life like we did back in Liberia, where we had made in a hotel with us, we had food, and everything seems to be fine. With the understanding that um, once the rubber gets to Monrovia, everything will subside and pretty soon we'll return back home because it was our first civil war and we didn't quite understand the impact or the magnitude of a civil wars. But uh, three months expanded to six months, six months expanded to nine months, and soon we found ourselves um, uh, as true refugees in Sierra Leone. I like hiking because it reminds me of home but it also reminds me when I cross the border, mainly because when I hike, I can take my time and enjoy the hike. Whereas when I ran across the border, it was a mad rush. I had a really good childhood in Bolivia. I went to private school. Um, I had lots of friends. I played sports. I had a great life. Um, I was there until I was 12. And then my mother had this crazy idea that we needed to come to the United States. <laughs> good morning. My name is Eileen Villegas. I'm originally from Bolivia, and I came to the US uh, in March of 1985. My name is uh, Fambula Keikala Zazar, and I'm originally from Monrovia, Liberia. It's a tiny country in West Africa. Uh, we could not get a visa to the U.S. We could, on could only get a visa to Mexico. Um, it was very hard to get a visa to the U.S. We ended up in Tijuana. Uh, we met our coyote the first night. The journey was supposed to be very brief and fast, so it wasn't supposed to be like weeks and months. It was just going to be like you land, you cross, then you fly to Virginia and you're done. That is not what happened. My family ran out of money. 
and we had to relocate. So at that point, I was 11 years old, so we had to fend for ourselves. So one thing that um, my mother did was have a cell in the streets of Sierra Leone. <laughs> As with any human being, your first thinking is, I need to get something to eat. How do I get something to eat? At this point, I have to sell to get something to eat. So you don't think that uh, just a few months, months, months ago, I was, you know, I had everything and I could afford everything. At this point, you're thinking that I have to sell to eat. So uh, you, you essentially disregard the past and continue to move forward because at that point, you just put yourself within survival mode. When we met our coyote, he said, I have to cross with somebody else tonight, so you're gonna cross with this other person. So we followed this other person who wasn't our original coyote and smuggler. So he took us to this house and run down somewhere in Tijuana and there was like rats and there was like 20, 25 people there, all ages and sexes. We were all cramped into this little one room where there was, I remember seeing rats and it was dark and we had to wait. He said, we're gonna, we're gonna wait until dark. We're gonna go to the, to the border. There's the fence already cut off. We're gonna cross, we're gonna wait until the helicopter goes the other way and then we're gonna run. The land between San Diego and Tijuana is very dry. There's a lot of bushes that have thorns. So the coyote that helped us cross that night, he said, yes, so if you hear a helicopter, hide under the bushes and just duck until you hear him leave. And then we'll all um, run. If you see the car, run. Just run in opposite directions. So that evening, it was midnight at the time. I don't know what the border fence looks like now, but at the time it was just a chain link fence that people would just cut and they were, you know, holding for people to get through in there. So we opened the hole and there was people like having bonfires at one side and it was lots and lots of groups of people. Like you can see them all lined up um, around the fence waiting and then the helicopters left and it was a mad rush. So there was groups of people that just made mad rushes in different directions uh, with different smugglers. So um, we, we started running, the helicopter came, I remember this, and then my mother and I ducked into a, underneath a bush and it was very prickly because I'm sure I had thorns in my hands. And then the helicopter left and we all ran up and started running. And the coyote would be like, just keep running, just keep running, but he was behind us. And um, we, we got surrounded by immigration cars. So we, they, they rounded us up and then they started questioning every single one of us. Like, where are you from? What are you doing? and you know, why are you going to the States? And then we had to, my mother and I spoke like Mexicans, like they said, what is your name? We had to lie about our names. We had to lie about everything, like what we did, what we didn't do. And, and you know, we just lied about everything and spoke like Mexicans. So they sent us back to Tijuana. Whatever we were selling um, wasn't making enough money for us to afford food and, and rent. So at that point, uh, the UN had opened a refugee camp uh, a little bit out, further out away from the city. 
And then when we were in the refugee camp, interestingly enough, another civil war started in Sierra Leone. And it was essentially a byproduct of, of the war that was going on right next door in Liberia. So we had again move away from Sierra Leone. You are thinking literally, how do I get from this movement to this movement? How do I get put myself into a safe position? Okay, now I'm safe. Now I realize I'm hungry. How do I feed myself? The cycle continues again the next day. How do I move from this one moment to this one moment? Maintaining my safety. How do I eat? And that and that's how you you, you sort of progress in those in those in those moments or or in those situations. The second night, each one of us had a smuggler. My mother had one, I had one, and the smuggler said, whatever happens, you just keep running. We're just gonna run, run, run. You're not gonna walk, you're gonna run. So my mother and the, the head smuggler went, and then I went with the younger smuggler. So as soon as we followed the same routine, we went to the fence, waited, and then it was just a mad rush. So my mother and I um, started running, but my mother got ahead with with one smuggler and I could see her she was getting further and further away and then my knee popped out of place and and I was just like oh in pain and then the guy said you have to keep going and my mom turned around and she tried to turn back and the smuggler said you have to keep going they'll catch up so we started running I was in a lot of pain the guy was like you have to, you're gonna be okay we're almost there in a bus from Sierra Leone and traveled all the way to Guinea. And from Guinea, um, we stayed in Guinea. We didn't quite stay in Guinea that long. It, it was just essentially a pass-through country. But then we went to Ivory Coast, uh, Abidjan. Abidjan, uh, we stayed in Abidjan. Ooh, I want to say we stayed in Abidjan maybe about for three months in the capital of Ivory Coast, which is Abidjan. Uh, but it, it was just essentially a transition point, meaning that the final destination was uh, Accra, Ghana, specifically Budbura refugee camp. We stay there, I want to say from, again, from the late 1991 or early to, uh, 1992, all the way when we left in um, August of 1993, before we joined our father in the United States. We came through the, the, the resettlement program, the United States refugee resettlement program. And the program is once you get here, you literally not too long after, like a few weeks after, they give you a green card. Once we made it, there was a white van waiting for us at the opposite end. And the same at the opposite end, there was just like this fence and the guy was waiting in a van. They put us in the van, the coyote was with us and we went to a red roof inn. I will always remember that because I was like, wow, this is so fancy. This hotel is so fancy. I didn't know what it was. So we stayed at the Red Roof Inn for one night. Then the next day, a contact that we had in California through a friend of a friend, she picked us up. We stayed at our house for one day. And then she said, okay, I have your tickets to go to Virginia the next day. So she took us to the airport and then we flew to Virginia, to Reagan. When I came here, ESL classes were very um, limited. Everything was in English. So when I got my first report card, it was all Fs. I didn't know what an F was, and I was devastated because I had never gotten an F in my life. So I talked to the doctor and I said, 
I don't know what this is. And she said, because you don't know the language. It's very hard. And the only ESL class we had was to be able to communicate in English, but it didn't really help with the other major classes. So the doctor got me a Spanish-English dictionary. And every night I would sit with her and we'd go through the whole dictionary. So I learned English in six months. And then by the time I finished seventh grade, I was a straight-A student. When I first came to the United States, this is in the 90s, and these kids weren't used to anything that wasn't purely American attire. So we got made fun of a lot for what we wore, what, you know, how we spoke. And then even worse, because um, when we cook in our house, we cook with a lot of spices. So as you can imagine, if you live in a small apartment with a lot of people, your clothes will always smell like the food and smell like spices. And then when you get on the school bus, the kids will make a lot of fun of you because you didn't quite, you know, smell right. You smell like spices and smell like things that they couldn't quite understand. And so we, we got made fun of a lot in high school, you know, for, for the way we talk, uh, our accent and the way we dress, the fact that we're wearing cheaper clothes. And in most, most of the time, the way we smell on the school bus. So it was very, very traumatic, uh, even uh, for a while, into your 20s and 30s, you still remember those experiences. It was really tough. And then she's like, as a kid, you're just going to waste your money. I have a and daughter and like, I've raised her to always work hard and not to rely on anybody and to always be independent. And I always tell her, as an adult, you have to give and you'll get back 10 times fold. Hi, how was soccer? Hi. I'm married uh, with two kids, live in a suburb of Virginia. Did your team win? Did your team win? Yeah, we won, 3-0. And uh, what yeah. advice I would have for them, uh, I think it goes beyond them, right? Um, what advice I would have from, for any young person um, is, is work hard, have integrity, and build good relationships. You need to have those three things as your anchor in this life. You want the whole thing? The United States, as, as much you know, problem we have, I think it's still one of the greatest country or the greatest country in the world where you can come from nowhere, work very, very hard, regardless of your situation, right? And you, you dedicate yourself and you are honest, you do well. That shows you how much a chef I am. Got to put the meatloaf and the rice that you have in the I remember going to visit a friend in San Diego 15 years after arriving here and we decided to go visit the Mexico side. Once we walked across the border, I saw the huge Mexican flag. And then I saw the hills that I ran across for the first time in the daytime, as opposed to when I ran across them, it was nighttime. So I cried because it reminded me of what I ran across. And also the hotel, the Red Roof Inn that we stayed at that one night when we arrived was still there. I still think back and think back as if I was able to do what I did 38 years ago, then I can finish this hike. It might take me longer, but I'll get it done. Mm -hmm.
It is December 3rd, 1997, 5 a.m. Cold and dark in Kurdistan. I'm waiting for the driver to pick me up. I fight back tears in front of my father who is standing near the front door. I'm leaving my parents and my siblings. My father is wondering if there is a chance that I could change my mind. He is battling stage four cancer. I'm forced to leave Northern Iraq because of my work for USAID groups. As much as it hurts to leave, I face too great a risk to stay. Whether you have moved to the U.S. because you choose to, or you were forced to, my story is for you. I was featured in this book uh, with the engaging speaker, The Voices of Truth. I wrote one of the chapters. The chapter names is The Truth About the American Dream. The book basically talk about my own story, how I came to United States in 1997. My name is Sayrana Krawi. I'm a transition and leadership coach. I'm originally from Kurdistan, Iraq. I moved to United States 25 years ago. I am married with two beautiful kids. Normally, when I have a client scheduled to be coach or mentor, I do reward them with a small gift. For our client today, I thought about this book will be a very good choice for her because she always talks about that she has enough courage to lead. She's a smart engineer, so just keep reminding her that she's enough. Good, good, yeah. good to see you. Yeah, and my friend, yes, uh, Rosby. I have clients from so many countries. I have clients from South Africa. I have clients from Middle East. I have clients from Russia. I have clients from Afghanistan and other countries around the world. I want to find engineers to, to share my capabilities, let's say. I didn't have a coach when I came to United States. It took me so many years to realize what a self-development is what is higher education, why is needed in order to achieve your goals here. What was the most difficult things that you face when you arrived to the United States? How can I do these things? We don't have car. The first thing we have to buy, yeah, basic thing, find car, find a, a place where you will live. So all, all these things you, you start thinking, how can I get, how can I start? I was there I didn't know anything about what to do next step in my life here. I thought just because I have an engineer degree, everything will be rosy and open for me. That's not the case. When you try to uh, find some job, you need some people you know here, right? Because in, in your country you have a lot of um, uh, uh, you know about your job, but here is not, not, not working here. I think one of the main things here is the language barrier. When I arrived in the United States, I spoke the language, but it was not fluent. As you know, uh, I am Latin people. My native uh, speaking is in uh, Spanish. So uh, that was my biggest problem. Okay, I have to study English. I have to find a school. So uh, how can I start? I know how it's feel. I was confused and I have many times get to conclusion just to book the ticket and go back to my country. One of the incidents that I still remember 25 years ago when I was trying to help a customer at my first job, 
um, before I even finish the sentence and take my time to explain the process about what the customer need to do, they were cutting me off by saying, I, do, I don't understand, I don't understand. If I sit here and tell you this is easy, it's not. The people who will move to this country, they will experience the same thing, maybe even harder. Maybe one of those moments, what's make me work harder on my language and my education. Nothing will come overnight. Nothing happen with, you know, as a magic. You have to put up the hard work in order to reach what you want. Yeah, but we need, how can I say, help yeah. for someone yeah. I miss. To me, the American yeah, dream is a like small that. thing that you really enjoy. Let's make your story and be kind and helping yeah. others. After every three sessions, I kind of boost my client, make them like excited about the process, about the coaching experience we are having together. So I gather another basket for you. I hope you're gonna like it. It's a small book with a notebook and don't be very excited about the notebook because there is a homework coming with it. Every notes, everything you will learn together, I need you to write down on this notebook. And this is why the note telling you, you are enough because I believe you are enough. You are American dream to me is the coexistence that we all are related in many ways and we need all to unify and come as a one family to make this land is the best. Thank you so much. It will be helpful for me. Thank you. <laughs>
can't anymore and then nobody else will take it up and that's kind of a bummer. We get very lucky in um, living in Alaska where there are areas where you can take your kids and have them practice more or less. That's one of the reasons why I love racing and why I love bringing kids into the association because they get drive time at a really young age in the safest um, environment that they can be in. We've got helmets, we've got lots of safety gear, we've got fire extinguishers, they're in an armored car, they're wearing sometimes five-point harnesses. They're in the safest location they could be for anything to go wrong. I feel like you don't, you don't get it until you get it. it. Seems to me like you're just putting money into something that's not really earning you anything other than a good time. But what else are you gonna do on a Sunday afternoon with your whole family? What are we gonna do?